As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I know the reason, at least in my region, um, it's because of a large immigrant population where, you know, it's just a difference in culture where people are living much closer and working much closer. A secretly recorded phone call. A secret recording. A taped conversation between Governor Tony Evers, State Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, and State Assembly Speaker Robin Voss goes public. We're demanding that Speaker Voss apologize for his comments. In response, Voss called the recording a violation of trust, civility, and integrity. This needs to be dealt with, and it should have been dealt with a week ago. Start the process, trying to repair kind of that relationship. Backlash from both sides of the aisle after Democrat Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers' staff secretly recorded a conversation with Republican legislative leaders. So how big of a deal is this? When are you allowed to record conversations in Wisconsin? And where do things go from here? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Good morning, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, June 23rd. And there are still a lot of questions about a secret recording that came out a couple of weeks ago. Let's start with what happened. On May 14th, Governor Tony Evers, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, and Assembly Speaker Robin Voss held an hour-long phone conversation about how Wisconsin should move forward one day after the state Supreme Court put a sudden end to Safer at Home. The governor says a member of his staff recorded the conversation for note-taking, but once that happened, the recording became a public record, and when the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel requested it, the governor's office turned it over. Speaker Robin Voss got backlash for the comments he made during that call, and we'll get to that in a minute along with some of the other comments that got overlooked in all of this. But now that the governor's office is getting its own pushback with calls for Evers to fire the staffer who recorded the call, we really need to break down what happened here and why it's important. So, Brian, you've been working in Wisconsin for a long time. What are the rules about when you can secretly record someone? When you go state by state, there are different laws that are referred to as one-party or two-party or all-party consent states. And that essentially means, depending on the state you're in, it requires either one party to a phone call to consent to that call being recorded, or everyone who's a part of the call needs to consent. Wisconsin is a one-party consent state, and that means if I want to record this conversation right now that we're having, I can do it without asking for your permission, without telling you that I'm doing it. I could also authorize someone else to record that call as long as I'm a party to the phone call. Someone who's in the conversation needs to know that it's being recorded and agree or consent 
to it being recorded. That is the law in Wisconsin. Now, there are different laws we could get into with regard to broadcast of those kinds of recordings. We do these uh, secret, not, I wouldn't say secret, but we record conversations all the time for note-taking. It's not uncommon in journalism to do that, but there's a different level of if we intend to broadcast that conversation, uh, what we have to do. And we can talk about that separately because that doesn't necessarily apply to what happened with the governor's office. But the most important part of this law is someone who's in the conversation has to know it's being recorded or consent to it. Otherwise, it's illegal and, in fact, potentially a felony. And the reason for that is, of course, to avoid wiretapping concerns. It's an idea that's meant to really protect the liberty of the people involved. What's coming up with this particular case that I think is interesting is there's some question about what does it mean if you are a party involved in the phone call, right? So when Governor Tony Evers has this phone call with Speaker Voss and Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald, they're not the only ones on the phone call. It's not just the three of them. There are various staff members who are involved, whether they're speaking or not, but they are on the call. So are they participating? How does that affect their ability to record this conversation? And at this point, all we know is that it was a staffer who reported the call. The governor's office won't say who recorded it. They just said that someone involved in the call consented to the recording. I think what really sparked this backlash, of course, is that there seems to be a feeling that at least from what Speaker Voss and Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald said, they felt like this violated their trust. They felt like this was supposed to be a conversation where they could be really honest with each other, say things without, you know, being worried that a camera's fixated on them for the purpose of having a more productive conversation to come to some solutions about moving Wisconsin forward. That's what they're saying. And so the fact that someone secretly recorded this and then it became public, they take issue with that. It's interesting that they're saying it damaged the relationship because, as you know, Brian, it's not like that relationship was super great to begin with. Um, So when they talk about repairing the relationship, it makes me wonder what they want to repair it to. Well, when it comes to politics, though, for a long, long time, there there are a lot of things that go on in politics, in partisan politics, uh, in in Madison and in other state houses uh, across the country and, of course, in the halls of Congress that are written rules. And there are a number of unwritten rules, sort of understandings, traditions, uh, professional sort of uh, uh, understandings of how things operate. And, And at least in the, the halls of the Wisconsin State Capitol, there's been a long understanding that you don't secretly record conversations and you certainly don't secretly record them and then tip off the media. And there's some controversy here as to whether or not that's really what happened um, or, or whether or not the Journal Sentinel just happened to make a request for a recording that w- would rarely have ever existed in the past. But and we'll talk about that more as well. But what it comes down to, their, their, their suggestion that this damaged the the, the relationship. You're right. There hasn't been much of a relationship between this Republican-led legislature and Governor Evers' staff. There's been real no love lost there. But if you listen to the call, uh, there certainly was uh, a good deal of discussion here about 
okay, what is the next step now? And that was the whole point of this. The, the Supreme Court issued its decision ending Safer at Home two weeks early. The governor and his staff felt that this was sort of cats out of the bag now. We could have had time to prepare um, for, you know, metrics and, and a, a slow rollout of how things reopen. Now things are all open at once, so we've got to get what they referred to as a scopes statement out. And that scopes statement would essentially have laid the groundwork for a new rule that the legislature and the governor could try to work together on to say, how does the state operate going forward? Because COVID-19 didn't magically go away when the Supreme Court struck down safer at home. So the purpose here was to say, okay, how do we potentially work together? And what the governor asked in the call was, all right, uh, Speaker Voss and, and Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald, what would you agree to? What are your ideas or what things do you think in this scope statement that you expect us to put out would you agree to? And Speaker Voss and, and Majority Leader Fitzgerald said, well, no, we want to know what you're going to put in it. Then we'll tell you what we agree to. And there was clearly a standoff going on between the two because they repeated, said, well, we kind of need to know what you'd agree to before we'll put it out. And, and the Republican side said, well, we kind of want to know what's in there before we tell you what, you, what we'll agree to. And ultimately, it, it became clear that, uh, particularly with Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald, he felt they had the power. The Supreme Court had ruled in their favor, uh, opening up the state, and he said, look, the state's open. Uh, you know, safer at home is over. So what do we do now? Let's not look backward. And, and that's really where most of the call was focused. But you can tell at times that it does appear they're speaking probably more freely than they would have spoken if they knew that this was being recorded, if they knew that this could be broadcast or leaked to the media, uh, or if there were, in fact, cameras watching, you know, the, the whole situation. So that ability to speak freely is, I'm sure, something that they felt would be productive. I don't know if it would have made much of a difference because it didn't sound like in this call they made a whole lot of progress toward uh, any sort of uh, reconciliation or resolutions. And we actually know that they didn't, right? Because this happened May 14th. And after that conversation, it, it's not like, hey, here's this magic deal that was struck. So on one hand, it quite frankly is important for politicians to be able to speak freely with each other because the the wheeling and dealing and being able to come to a consensus that's really the only way anything gets done and you can't do that if people can't speak freely on the other hand i don't know how much it accomplished in this case well and, and again as you said because of the history between these two sides i don't know that anyone expected it was going to accomplish much but it, at the very least they can both sides can say we had the conversation certainly the governor's office had been uh, heavily criticized by republicans for not including the legislature in safer at home and in any of the parameters of that and this may have well been an attempt to say okay we're trying to include you in you know any any rule we create going forward um, it, whether or not it, it resulted in anything there, at least that seems to have been what the attempt was was all about. I, I don't know that any intent going in was that this was going to be a setting for a controversial comment to be leaked, but obviously there's intent going in and then there's the end result. Well, and so that controversial comment that got a lot of attention, uh, you heard it at the top of this episode, it's Speaker Voss uh, attributing a spike in COVID-19 in the Racine area to, quote, cultural differences. And our reporter, Angelica Sanchez, covered um, the backlash in the um, Latino community to that comment. 
um, because they said, look, we we think that was a racist comment. It's not cultural differences in our community, which is experiencing the spike. It's the fact that a lot of us work in essential jobs and we don't feel like we have the protections that we need at work. And then we're coming home and we're bringing it home. And that comment, it got a lot of play. It got a lot of attention. But it was a comment that was also really easy to miss if you were listening to the recording. And it seems like that comment in particular is what the governor's office was focused on um, when having discussions about that recording. But it also seems to be really what got under the skin of Speaker Voss, who made the comment, and Senate, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald. And again, that's one of those examples where perhaps uh, Speaker uh, Voss might have stated that a little bit differently had he known that he was on the record or he was being recorded. Um, that doesn't make it any better if it was a, an offensive or controversial statement Then you know, he said it and, and it's true. And as journalists, I think I tend to focus, particularly as an investigative journalist, I po- focus more on what's true, not on what whether someone knew they were being Recorded. In fact, I think oftentimes secret recordings, and we've done this for many years, secret recordings are how you find out how people really feel. And sometimes that's that's important, especially when we're talking about our political leaders. What they'll say behind closed doors or off the mic may in fact be more real and authentic than what they say in front of it. Right. And so if this is something, and, and maybe the comment isn't something that bothers you, but if it's something that does and you're a voter, you now have an additional piece of information about the state leader who you are electing or not electing to represent you and represent your views. So we often do focus on what what we find the truth of the conversation to be. And, you know, Brian, there there's an easy remedy for not uh, being embarrassed by a, a secret recording, and that's just making it a habit to speak in private like you would in public. But I think you and I are a little more attuned to that because we do record so many conversations for note-taking, and we do hidden camera work uh, where we do capture conversations with people, and they are telling us how they really feel versus the carefully crafted public relations statement that they might make that may or may not reflect what they actually think about an issue. Um, so, I, I mean, in most conversations, I I just kind of assume I'm being recorded, but I think that's also just because of the profession we're in. Well, and and there are times that hidden camera or secret recordings are necessary or important. And again, there are different levels of of how you use that. Again, for note-taking purposes, sometimes it's to make sure you get a quote correctly, because one of the number one things that uh, journalists are accused of, particularly print journalists, is misquoting someone. Well, if you have a recording and a transcript and you can go back and say, no, this is this is word for word what you said, you're not misquoted, it's a protection. It's also a protection to make sure that you don't, in fact, uh, get it wrong based on your memory or how you jotted your notes down. Um, it can also be helpful to just refer back to see, did, did I really get the sense of what that person was saying right? Did I miss something? Um, but when we in in the broadcast news business have the intention of putting something on the air, there's a whole other level that wouldn't apply in the state legislature or the governor's office, but that is uh, the FCC has some purview over what we broadcast. We have we are licensed by the Federal Communications Commission, and the FCC for many years has required broadcasters to notify someone in advance that they are being recorded before that recording can be used in a broadcast. 
interestingly enough, they don't have to consent. I can tell you I'm recording this phone call and I'm going to put it on TV. And if you keep talking to me knowing that, then you've taken the risk that I'm going to put that on the air. It's implied consent. And, it's, and you can even say, I disagree. I don't want to be recorded. As long as I've informed you appropriately the way the FCC rule works, then I can do that. Now, of course, Governor Evers is not a, a broadcast journalist. He is not going to broadcast this somewhere um, it, where an FCC license is in jeopardy. So that's not in play. The real question that comes in here is, did someone on this call consent to the recording being made? And Governor Evers has made it clear he didn't know it was being recorded and he doesn't like that it was recorded and he doesn't want his staff to do it again going forward. So if the governor didn't know and clearly Speaker Voss and Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald didn't know, who else was on that call, who was an announced member of the call that consented? And the only other two people we know of are the governor's chief of staff, Maggie Gao, and his chief legal counsel, Ryan Nielsen. So which of those two knew it was being recorded and consented to it? So far, the governor hasn't said, and you have uh, calls from Speaker Voss and, and Majority Leader Fitzgerald to have one of them or whatever staff member was responsible fired. And I, I have gotten some questions about how we as journalists were allowed to broadcast that call because of the rules that we have to, if we are recording a call, that we have to let the person know we're recording. So the way this works is if we had been the ones who recorded the call, yes, we would have needed to say, hey, we're recording this for broadcast. We're going to let you know. But because this recording was obtained through an open records request, that's why you can see this call being broadcast on several television stations. Now, interestingly enough, with the open records request, there are quite a few reasons that reporters file open records requests. Sometimes we're just curious. Sometimes there's a big event that has happened that will trigger a request. So, you know, we knew these conversations were going down between the governor and legislative leaders. It's not out of the realm of possibility that someone said, hey, I want to know what they're talking about. So you might request their emails or their notes. The recording is very specific. So maybe it, it was just a reach. Hey, if you have any recordings, I want it. That's not totally out of the realm of possibility either. But what also happens sometimes is we as journalists get tipped off that, hey, this exists, you might want to request it. It seems, and, and maybe this is me veering in the opinion category here, but it, it seems like it's more likely that that happened. And there's nothing wrong with that from a journalistic perspective. That happens all the time. We get tips about things to request pretty frequently, and then you get the information, you get the recording, you get the record, and then you use it to do some journalism. And that's what happened here. So I know I've, I've seen some, some tweets from some uh, Republican leaders who seem to take issue uh, with this and accusing the, the Journal Sentinel of working with the governor's office. That, that's not how this works. We get tips for records to request all the time. And if that is what happened, that's just that's a part of the process. Well, and it's it's not it's not how it typically works, but that's not to say it's beyond the realm of possibility. There are certainly and there's always the risk that you have a reporter 
who is sympathetic to a particular candidate or a particular office holder, they have a good relationship, that office holder then sees them as a safe avenue for releasing information that would be favorable to them, and that reporter gets the scoop on a big story. That's not uncommon. That's happened many times throughout the history of journalism. And so there are certainly those from the outside who look at this and who already suspect the media is in cahoots with uh, a particular um, viewpoint uh, in government and might say, well, it looks like the Journal Sentinel worked with the governor's office on this. I think more likely in our experience, what we know is that someone in the governor's office heard what happened in the call, thought, boy, if only the public knew, tipped off a reporter and that reporter said, well, yeah, I'm going to make a request. Of course, I want this conversation because it's a huge conversation. Now that I know a recording exists, I'm going to request it and we're going to report on its contents. I think any one of us would do the same. You do have to be careful as a journalist or at least be aware when you might be used by uh, someone in, in you know, a political office. And, and, you know, that is something we're always aware of. Usually tips don't come to us from people who have no real stake or dog in a fight. Everyone has an agenda. Almost every tip we get comes from someone with an agenda. The key is knowing what is that agenda how do I guard against becoming an unwitting part of fulfilling that agenda? How do I make sure I do my job um, honestly and, and fairly? And and so, you know, as, as we've seen from the Journal Sentinel stories, they did reveal the comments that Speaker Voss made that stirred up a lot of controversy. They've also done quite a bit in terms of covering how the secret recording came out and calls on the governor to fire someone on his staff. So really, as journalists, our duty is to report on what's there, but to try to make sure that we are cautious, that we are not being used, and that if there's something that is unflattering, even to the source of the leak, that we make sure we cover that with equal zeal. And I think that you phrase that perfectly, Brian, because I think sometimes people think we operate in this uh, perfect world where you know, everything we do comes from people who have no agenda and no dog in the fight, as you said. And that's just, that's not how the world works. That's not what happens. So if you're a smart reporter and you're aware of what that agenda is up front, you can guard against it. Now, if this is something that the someone in the governor's office wanted out there, it sure seems like it backfired because the governor's office has taken a lot of flack, including from within his own party, because I think it's very easy for state lawmakers to look at this and go, I don't want someone to secretly record me. And so there, there is kind of that move in to protect those conversations that they're frequently having. Well, and it's something that as a journalist, you know, I have I have uh, mixed feelings about because as a journalist, I want as many conversations as possible among government officials to have uh, the light of transparency shined upon them. I want every conversation to be public. I don't want to see backroom deals happening that the public, that our viewers, that our listeners can't view or, or observe for themselves. But we know in reality that there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And if you ask lawmakers, if you ask politicians, they would say to have robust conversations, especially among those who typically disagree or across party lines, those conversations sometimes to have a robust, open conversation, there is some trust that goes into that, that, okay, this is between us. Let's get sort of our ducks in a row and then we'll have sort of the more on-the-record conversations. Again, I'm leery of encouraging that because I think the more that happens behind the scenes, the less we as the public really see in the process. But knowing that 
you can have those honest conversations to sort of get your your story straight first for a politician could be very meaningful. Well, and a few years ago, when state lawmakers tried to make a large portion of public records unavailable um, as it, as they were going through the deliberative process, that was the exact argument they used. When we are deliberating over state laws and over deals, we don't think you should be able to see the records involved in that or the emails or anything like that. Because and we I know need you have, and I disagree with that. But. Oh, yeah. You, you and I strongly disagree with that because, again, they're records. It's, it's transparency. What we're talking about here isn't whether the public should be able to access those records and and not even really whether anyone has a legal right to secretly record conversations we discussed the parameters that those conversations need to fall under in order for it to be legal but i think there is um kind of that ethical question of of what goes on there and that's been the interesting back and forth my concern comes from i came from a, an all-party consent state uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, that was where I worked as a reporter for four years before coming to Wisconsin. And in Pennsylvania, even the action of recording audio of someone without them knowing, that was breaking the law. It wasn't about how you used the recording, just the fact that you recorded it, even if it didn't go anywhere without them knowing was breaking the law. And so it, it was always interesting as a journalist to receive some of those recordings, because even though I couldn't make them, if someone else had made a recording independently and passed it on to me, you know, there, there are cases where we could use it. Um, but also, it, it just, it made it really difficult to do the stories that require that proof. If we wanted to do hidden camera, we basically had to be able to prove that we did not have the ability to record audio. And so it's hard to find out how people are really being treated in that nursing home that has a lot of complaints. It's difficult to find out, hey, this is what this unlicensed daycare is doing in in their walls. There are a lot of things that are of the public interest that can be exposed and a lot of things that have been exposed through the ability to record people without them knowing there's a public service involved in that and i'm really i i, I one of my biggest uh, honestly uh, one of my uh, more um i guess one of the accomplishments i would consider uh, uh in in my time in terms of hidden camera at work one of the greatest accomplishments was a, a dating service that was a high dollar dating service that for years and years and years was just ripping people off. High pressure sales, misleading claims, and it took a, a series of hidden camera investigations to finally get the attorney general's office to file suit against them and to ultimately close them down. And they eventually uh, got $250,000 in a judgment that helped people get thousands of dollars each back after they were misled and ripped off and, and their, their loneliness was exploited. And that's one of those examples where without those hidden camera conversations, we would not have been able to expose just how dirty this operation was and, and, and how unethical it was and, in fact, frankly, how illegal it was. That was important. So there are times this kind of thing is important. The question is, and I think this is where you were going probably from the beginning of this, Amanda, is you worry when you hear something like this happens, especially among people who make our laws. Do they look at this and say, maybe we should be one of those all-party consent states like Pennsylvania, where you can't record anyone without everyone knowing it? Yeah, that, that that's my exact 
fear because when that happens, now you have another level of, quite frankly, corruption that is allowed to occur. There were a lot of stories that came across my desk in Pennsylvania that I wanted to do, but the only way we were going to be able to prove it and do a story was to have some kind of recording, and we just couldn't do them. We just couldn't expose it. And, and I want to be clear that that's not our first resort. It's hard, it's our last resort yes. because the first resort is to get people on the record on camera or at least on the record in a phone call or something to talk to us and answer questions knowing that it's for publication. Yes. But there are those circumstances where there's just no other way than to secretly record someone to show what's really going on. And, and that's something that I hope as journalists we don't lose the ability to do because there is a potential great public service in that in the right occasions. Yeah, so I think uh, th this story is far from over because at this point, we still don't know who recorded the call. And uh, Well, I think that's the most, the thing, we, I don't know if we've talked about it during this or if you and I talked about it before the podcast, Amanda, but one of the things that really stands out here is that the governor has been clear he did not know. And public records seem to back him up on that. So Friday night, we got some public records, some text messages. And in one of them, the, the governor is saying, I don't remember recording this conversation. So th that does seem to back up the idea that he didn't know. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing for the governor, because one way or the other, there's criticism. If the governor knew, then you have uh, Speaker Voss and Majority Leader Fitzgerald saying, then why did you do it? But if you didn't know, it raises the question, how do you not know what's going on? How do you not know what your staff is doing? And are you then going to take some sort of action against your staff? And what will that action be to show that they've gone and done something like this against, you know, without your knowledge? So it raises that question of, did he know and he's saying he didn't? Or did he really not know? And, and if so, does that mean, as some have suggested, that his staff is sort of, uh, I, I think Majority Leader Fitzgerald, it was either him or Speaker Voss who said that this suggests that his staff is out of control and and something needs to be done. Now, again, that's their terminology. But and let's be clear. Let's be clear. And that's because it's not just, oh, I'll record this for note taking. It's I'll record this for note taking and then it becomes a public record. So if someone took that action and did not realize it would need to become a public record, that seems to be a problem because that's a really basic level of working in government that you need to know learn on day one and then if they and that's very different from what we do when we take when we record something for note taking there's no open records request someone can file for that conversation so there's more of a level of protection you're right in government you know any record you create is a public record yes and so then if they did know it was going to be a public record you are creating a public record of your boss without your boss's knowledge and that is something that the, the, the speaker and the majority leader of the Senate have said calls for some sort of action. They've been saying they want to see what the governor will do. We've not heard if the governor has taken any action against a staff member or will. He has said that he doesn't discuss personnel issues publicly, but I don't think that pressure is going to, to go away. And Amanda, as you said, this issue is probably not going to go away anytime soon, much like the underlying issue that was all the point of the conversation 
COVID-19. And that is something we will continue to discuss uh, on these more frequent episodes of Open Record. We are going to wrap up this topic for now, but we'd like to hear from you as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic or any other topic right now that is top of mind. If there's something you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate further, please send us an email at theinvestigators at fox.com. That is the investigators, T-H-E investigators altogether at fox.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you have not done that already. You can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. And thank you once again for listening to Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. Thursday.